Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf and this episode number 37 about the book The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. Keep listening to find out how your mind is telling you stories and maybe you shouldn't really believe them. You're listening to Steph's Business Bookshelf, doing the reading so you don't have to. Welcome back and hopefully I've done a good enough editing job today because Melbourne, at the time of recording this, Melbourne is having some kind of crazy apocalyptic weather. So I've got the heating on, which hopefully isn't too loud in the background. And if you hear anything else, it will be some crazy wind and rain that we're experiencing this morning. So spring hasn't quite sprung as we thought it had, sadly. But nevertheless, that means lots of time indoors, curled up, reading, which I've been making the most of over the last weekend, where it has been a little bit wet and miserable. I'm currently reading the book Good to Great by Jim Collins because it is a classic and I have yet to read it. So I'm looking forward to bringing that to you in a future episode and I'm really enjoying it so far. So I'm looking forward to pulling out the three big ideas from that book. If you've read it already, let me know. I'd love to know what you thought of it. I was posting about it on LinkedIn and Instagram. So if you haven't already connected with me, make sure you do. Links are in the show notes. Speaking about links in the show notes for my Australian listeners, if you don't already know, there is a link in the show notes for you to use my little affiliate code and link in the book depository. So if you are enjoying the podcast and you're ordering any books using the book depository, make sure you click the link in the show notes to buy through my little shop. The book we're talking about today, The Happiness Trap, I read years ago. The book came out in 2007, but I must have read it, I think, probably getting on for six or seven years ago now. So it's, what, 2019 now. So probably still a few years after it was first published. And it's one of the books that I would say has stuck with me the most out of all of the books I've read over the last 10 years or so. I'll share a little bit more about why and some of the examples as I talk through the three big ideas I took from the book. But it was really interesting to go back and flick through, especially as I hadn't read it for in some time when I was pulling out the notes for this episode and a good reminder actually of some of the key concepts because whilst there's a number that I do still use and have really stuck with me there are a few that I'd forgotten and, and it may be more relevant now in this particular part of my life where I'm doing different work and in a different country than where I first read this compared to when I initially read the book. It's one that I've recommended and gifted countless times to people too, particularly when they are becoming slightly overwhelmed or overcome with their own thoughts and stories that they tell themselves. It's probably a book I would also recommend almost to anyone because I think having these concepts and ideas in mind is really powerful because you never know when you might need them. You never know when you might struggle with something or go through a particular life event that means that you actually need this little bit of resilience in your mind. And as you know, prevention is better than cure. So let's get into the book. First of all, a little message. This episode is sponsored by me, Steph Clark, and my facilitation and team coaching business. In short, I help teams be better teams. The work I do with organizations brings teams together and helps them have the conversations that they need to, including sometimes those nasty elephants that tend to hide under the table or in this store cupboard. So if you're a team leader or if you are a HR or organizational development professional and you are bringing teams together, either your own or other teams together, and you need them to have a better conversation, get in touch. Contact details are in the show notes. And I'd love to chat about options. But without further ado, let's get into the three big ideas I learned from The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. A little bit first about the author. Russ Harris is a doctor, therapist, father, trainer of health professionals, and the author of The Happiness Trap, plus eight other books. Russ started his career as a newly graduated doctor back in 1989. 
and soon discovered that most of his patients were expressing a significant degree of dissatisfaction in life. Stress, anxiety and unhappiness were widespread. He strongly related to their struggles because he was experiencing something similar. But he just couldn't understand why he felt this way. Russ had achieved all of the goals that society tells us will make us feel happy, but it wasn't working and he wanted to know why. One thing was for sure, simplistic stories that it is all down to an unhappy childhood or too much negative thinking or even a chemical imbalance in the brain were definitely not the answer. So with that, Russ set off on a journey to find out what A, makes people unhappy and B, far more importantly, what creates genuine and lasting happiness. That journey took him down a lot of blind alleys and dead ends, but eventually it led him to ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And that was taken from the Happiness Trap website. Link is in the show notes. Also, a link to that website is well worth clicking on because there's a lot of different free resources. There's some really good videos. Might also be really useful to share with some of your team members as well, particularly around things like imposter syndrome and self-doubt. Russ also offers an eight-week course helping people overcome some of these stories they tell themselves. A little bit more about the book, though, before we dive into the three big ideas. Russ Harris explains the way most of us go about trying to find happiness ends up making us miserable, driving the epidemics of stress, anxiety and depression. This empowering book presents the insights and techniques of ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, a revolutionary new psychotherapy based on cutting-edge research on behavioural psychology. By clarifying your values and developing mindfulness, a technique for living fully in the present moment, ACT helps you to escape the happiness trap and find true satisfaction in life. The techniques presented in the book will help you to reduce stress and worry, handle painful feelings and thoughts more effectively, break self-defeating habits, overcome insecurity and self-doubt and create a rich, full and meaningful life. And that was taken from the book blurb on Amazon. Now, if there's a few things that are sounding kind of familiar, you might have listened to the episodes I talked about, the book The Courage to be Disliked and also the book Everything is Effed by Mark Manson. There's definitely a few overlaps here in terms of some of the ideas, not repetition necessarily, but different applications of similar ideas. So if you do like this episode and you haven't listened to those ones, again, there's a link in the show notes so you can skip straight to those and queue them up for after this one. Let's get into the three big ideas I took from the book, The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. Number one, happiness is not the goal. Slightly contradictory to what is in some of those initial blurbs I read. Happiness is not actually the goal. Early on in the book, Russ dispels some myths that we have. Firstly, that happiness is the default or the natural state. This just isn't the case. And that belief makes people believe that if you're not happy all the time, that you must be defective. And therefore that to create a better life, you need to reduce negative feelings. All of these things are a bit of a vicious cycle because if you're not happy and then you think you're defective, you're gonna probably get be less happy, which then makes you feel like you're even more broken than you were in the first place. And all of that stems from thinking that happiness is this natural state or this state that we should all be aiming for. The other side to this is the myth that we should be able to, or we must be able to control our feelings. But again, that's not the case and isn't and shouldn't necessarily be the case. Now there is a piece on how much control our feelings have of us, but that's kind of where we're gonna to get to within later in the book. This also builds the arguments in the book around or against positive psychology and the effort that that takes all the time or the, the overemphasis on telling yourself really positive things all the time, lots of positive affirmations, all of that stuff, which generally A, takes a lot of time and energy, but really distracts from what we're actually trying to achieve in life. 
makes us less present, but also adds to this myth that we need to be happy all the time. So therefore we need to be telling ourselves all these positive things and removing any negative thought to maintain that happy state. Once you've let go of the idea that happiness is not the goal, then it actually frees up a lot of time, energy and angst. And that time can be best spent on other things instead. So that was big idea number one, and it's an important one. Happiness is not the goal. Big idea number two is that control is not the answer. Now, control is okay to a point where it's being used really intentionally and for a purpose, but not if we use it excessively or use it in a situation where it just won't work and it stops you doing what you value. He talks a little bit, not so much in this book and set, but certainly in some of his other writing, Russ talks about grief, for example. And grief is quite an all-encompassing feeling. And if we try and control that, there's an analogy he uses around a ball, trying to hold a football underwater, a soccer ball, under the water in a swimming pool. You can do that for a while, but eventually your arms will get tired and you'll let go and it will just fly out of the water. That's really what happens when we try and control our feelings too much. Eventually, it's all going to come out and it probably won't end well. Ultimately, it doesn't help. It distracts us, but it doesn't solve anything. And like I mentioned earlier, it takes a lot of time and energy. This is really the bit that has stuck with me. This idea that trying to control our feelings, telling ourselves other stories instead, trying to rewrite things in our head whilst trying to go through the particular scenario that's making us feel a certain way, isn't very helpful. It makes us feel bad and broken. And if our thoughts and feelings return, we'll feel like we've failed, which doesn't help. That ends up perpetuating how you felt already. If anyone's ever been through any other types of therapy, and particularly anyone who's read into or looked into any kind of positive psychology, this does reverse that a lot of the time. There are some similarities, of course, maybe in really where it's trying to get to, but the method is very different. This is not one of resistance. Positive psychology tends to go through a lot of resistance type mentality or thinking. So not allowing those negative thoughts or trying to argue against them in your own mind. Like I said, by which point the moment has passed and you're kind of no happier than you were previously. So big idea number two, control is not the answer. Big idea number three and probably my favorite part is that you need to change the story to change your mind. ACT or acceptance and commitment therapy is all about accepting and hearing and seeing those negative or bad or whatever you want to label them as thoughts that pop into our mind. And accepting that a lot of that is story. A lot of it is a narrative that we have created ourselves. We've given it values, we've given it characters, we've given it all kinds of characteristics. And sometimes it takes on a bit of a life of its own. So this isn't about rewriting the story, which again, a more positive psychology approach to things, but around taking away its power. Now I use this methodology and whilst I I read the book really out of interest, I found that it was really relevant to how I was feeling at the time. So when I read this a number of years ago, I was going through a few career changes. I was feeling a bit out on a limb. I felt like I didn't really sometimes know what I was doing and I was making it up as I went along. I've more recently realized you can just embrace that and it's all fine. But anyway, at the time that really did bother me and I felt like I wasn't good enough. So when I read this book, I found it incredibly useful to think about, okay, I don't need to let that story become true, but I can try and take away its power. Now, Russ gives lots of different examples in the book. And one of the things I really enjoyed is that there is really something in there for everyone. And he says in the examples he gives and the exercises he gives, some of them might not work for you and that's okay try it out, find one that fits, change it, adapt it, do what you need to do that makes it stick for you and then use that. So it's okay not for not for everything in the book not to work for you. 
there's quite a cool thing in the book where you have to turn or not have to but one of the act- one of the examples is that you can turn your feelings or the story or that voice that you that comes into your brain into a song so for me one of my big fears was failing whatever that even means anyway this is past Steph, so we can talk about her and this idea of failing really bothered me so what I did when I read this in the book was I turned it into a song and I chose the Rod Stewart song I am sailing but turned it into I am failing So particularly when I was doing things that I found kind of difficult and I felt a bit more judgment on. So when I was playing tennis, for example, and every time I messed up a point, I would think everyone else on the court was judging me or whatever. And that would used to really undo me. And then I'd end up playing worse. And again, you then end up in a bit of a hole. What I started to do instead was turn that into a song. So whenever I heard that really critical negative voice in my head, I would say, oh, here's the the failing story again. And then I would start singing in my head, I am failing to the tune of I am sailing by Rod Stewart. And it just completely de- depowers the story, depowers that thing. You then you hear it, you accept it. You go, oh, here it is again. Turn it into a story that other people turn it into a character. So some people you actually give it kind of characteristics and a face and you turn it into this old woman or an old man in your head that comes along. You say, oh, hi, you're here again. You're actually not welcome here, but let them be there as well. You see it and it's not trying to fight it or resist it. By taking away its power, you take away the the effect it can have on you. There's six elements to ACT as Russ lays out in the book. Part of it is diffusion, which is seeing that story and realizing that it is not reality. So my failing story, I wasn't failing, I was just making mistakes. It's kind of normal, particularly in a game like tennis. You then go into expansion, which is the acceptance stage. Connection with reality. So actually connecting, going, well, actually, is this really true? No, what is the current truth? I'm practicing the point in, so my tennis example, I'm practicing, that's important. I'm getting better as a result of it. I'm better than I was. I'm being able to connect with reality. Part four is the observing self looking at what's really happening, that third person kind of perspective. Number five is values. Coming back to what are you trying to achieve? So in my tennis example, it could have been that I'm trying to be a better player. I'm trying to move up the leagues. I'm practicing because that's the kind of person, that's the kind of thing that a person who's trying to get better does is they practice and they make mistakes and they learn and they get coaching and they go to courses and clubs, etc. And finally, part six, committed action. Based on those values, therefore, what do I need to do? I need to continue practicing, etc., etc. Now, you don't need to remember all six of those parts and the words and the order to necessarily put this into practice yourself. The important thing for me and the bit that has really stuck with me, like I said, has been the depowering the story, hearing that voice. And it's it's interesting, like I said, when I've come back to this book now to go over some notes and, and remind myself of some of the key theories and concepts for doing this episode, it's made me analyze some of the things a little bit more that have been coming into my mind recently. Some of the stories I've started telling myself some of the things I've started to assume that are true that may not be. So it's been a good reminder and a good exercise to come back to those. It's like I'm in the next couple of weeks going to practice a little bit more and get back into just questioning and hearing and accepting some of the things that I'm hearing, experiencing, thinking about myself or about the work I'm doing, and then accepting it, hearing it, allowing it to be there, but not letting it take over. Now, I can imagine this would be huge for someone who is struggling with maybe imposter syndrome, they're feeling out their depth, all of those kind of things, because all of that is stories. Like I said, I'd hugely recommend this to pretty much anyone, really, because at some point you're going to tell yourself something, believe it to be true, and not be able to move on, or think you're defective for not being happy as a result of that story you tell yourself. But really, it's the story, which is big idea number three, change the story to change your mind, because the story isn't true. So to recap, three big ideas from the book, The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. 
Number one, happiness is not the goal. Number two, control is not the answer. And number three, change the story to change your mind. Hopefully you've already gathered that I did really enjoy this book. I really rate it. I recommend it to almost anyone because you will, even if you don't personally feel like you need it, A, there will probably be something at some point you'll need these techniques for, but you'll probably know someone else who will really benefit from it. So being able to read it and then recommend it to them is obviously very important and useful. If you have read this book, if you found it as, probably wouldn't be too extreme to say it's quite a life-changing book or certainly has the potential to be quite a life-changing book. I was actually thinking about that yesterday as I was writing my notes because whilst I don't like to use the word life-changing or the phrase life-changing too often because I think it's a bit overused, a bit extreme, this probably is one of the books or one of the few books that has that potential and in a very practical sense, not just from an inspirational perspective, which is also very important, but has a different place in the world, I'd say. Anyways, if you have read this, if you enjoyed it, if you learned something, if you did something different, if you turned something around as a result, if you you depowered your stories, let me know. I would love to hear from you. Contact details are in the show notes to connect on LinkedIn or on Instagram. But otherwise, in the meantime, happy reading.